coming. It's really great to see you. I hope it's okay. I'm going to re record this. So uh, if anyone has a huge objection, um, I won't. Or you can, I mean, if, if anyone wants to sing, <laughs> Tom. Hmm? <laughs> Do you want to sing? Yeah, if you want to sing. Okay. Let's just go down there. Yeah, if it's all right, just to say a couple of words. Um, yeah, I, I write in, about books, I interview writers, and um, I was thinking that when I look back on, on this year, Tom Drew will probably be the, the person that I will uh, associate with 2015. It might be slightly weird for you, seeing as you've been been writing through, through the last 20 years. But mm -hmm. we, I interviewed Tom for the Sunday Independent uh, in February, and for, for, for a podcast, and they've reviewed his books fired by the enthusiasm of people like, like Ben. And it was about this time last year when I was writing a roundup of debut novels for The, for the Independent. And Sam Jordison, who works for Galley Beggar Press, uh, who published Eamon McBride, among many others, uh, dropped me a line and, um, and said, have you read The End of Vandalism? I said, no, I've never heard of The End of Vandalism. He said, you've got to read this book. You have to. Now, steal it. Um, fly to America. And uh, I get emails from publishers all the time saying, you must read this book. Um, when a publisher asks you to read another book by another publisher, you do start to, to pay attention. And I think probably, I don't, I don't know how many of you were here in, in February to, to hear uh, John McGregor talk to, to Tom. I think I was hooked fairly quickly, mainly by the, the humour of, of the end of vandalism. Um, sorry just had a small example and um, there's a wonderful passage where the character Louise asks Pastor Matthews to officiate at her wedding to Dan Norman and, and at the end of the conversation he says congratulations Louise I must say I've always been attracted to you mentally and physically <laughs> what, what kind of pastor is this what, what is this what is this place um, but gradually it was also run of the mill <laughs> <laughs> um I think it was then the sense, and we talked a little about this when, when we talked, uh, that the way trivial actions, the most trivial action, a man stacking a bale of bales of hay could have real emotional uh, significance. But finally, it was, I think it was the characters um, who had depth, dimensions, and, and, and hard-won decency, I think. Um, and I think a lot is written about your books, about their plotlessness or aimlessness and all these sorts of things. And I think it was... I didn't want to find out what happened per se, but, but what happened to these particular... Uh, human beings. So when I came to write this year's roundup of debut novels, um, I think my editor saw it coming, that my debut of the year and my book of the year was, was The End of Vandalism. Um, and since I've read the, the two remaining books in the Grouse County trilogy and The Driftless Area, which I think we'll probably talk about mostly uh, tonight, and, and your Tom's prose has just been a constant source of delight. Um, I think this is my favourite passage of the year. It's one of about 30 million favourite passages. It's Charles' tiny darling in Hunts and Dreams, and he sees a plane flying high over his head in, in the middle of, of Iowa in a sort of against a night sky. And he imagines what might be happening on this plane. A woman was running away. A man was blowing his nose. A child was reading a book upside down. Meanwhile, the pilot tried to remember a song he used to know. What it, whatever people did down here they were doing up there and then they were gone unlike Joan, who's Tiny's wife Charles could see no pattern in the stars 
No heroes, no animals, only a random pelting of space. I thought that, yeah, a random pelting of space. Pelting is just a fantastic word, and it's a line to conjure with. And in a way, it's a kind of my segue into, into the driftless area, which um, is the fourth of your books to be released in Britain this year. Um, it's a novel that discusses everything from, from chance to fate, uh, love and, and, and drum solos, which, you know, I've been waiting for this novel and, and the drum solo novel. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to shut up uh, and welcome Tom. Uh, and I think everyone should give him a round of applause. Yeah. We should start by saying you've survived Mariella Frostrop today, so I'm a yes, piece of cake, was, I'm, I'm guessing. Y- yes, that went well. Yeah, That was OK. Yeah. Can I ask just about 2015? Is it going to be a sort of red-letter year for you uh you know it's been the the reception here the you know you the bookseller crow old street everybody uh, has been um in, incredibly behind this books and they've been like just coming out and coming out and coming out i don't know how you can keep them straight i have trouble myself um and um so it's yeah it is has been a red letter year in that sense for sure what is it like to see 20 years of of your creative life sort of flash before your eyes in, in about eight months? It's strange. I mean, it's like, you know, um, they're like people I know, and I sort of, I feel like I'm, I'm glad that, you know, I've been able to introduce them to others, and so they're, I don't know, it's, um, they're very familiar to me. I mean, when you talk, when you're, like, quoting from the end of Vandalism, I know, I know exactly the words that are coming, you know, it's like, <laughs> Um, and uh, so I've lived with them for a long time. It's sort of like ingrained memory for me. And so I'm very happy to, you know, to see um, that we're getting like new readers and new people who would never have heard of it. You know, hadn't been for Jonathan and, and Books on the Crow and, and Ben and you. Um, so I'm very. That's great. I think that there are. <clears throat> Things we haven't talked about with the trilogy that I, you know, and I don't know if we should now, but I mean, it's like um, the things about the the uh, sort of the way that the tone shifts, the form <clears throat> shifts, you know, which I think is something that I wanted to do, um, and so I think there are. Th- still things to me that are interesting about it and I know it extremely well <laughs> so I you know no I, it, it's been it's fine to hear it talked about again and you know in the last and Pacific came out in 2013 so I mean you know um, I've been I go back to them every once in a while and check in and see what's going on with them and sort of write a novel based on that so um, so in this sense we're just looking more at their past a little bit and that's that's good what happens? What, what has happened with the, the tone shifting? And I remember when we talked in February, you, you mentioned. Uh, well, I will the... tell you, and I've never said this before, but you know, when <laughs> I was writing the end of vandalism, okay, and this is no, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I was reading for these different books, okay, and like, and which is in no way saying like, and so I'm as good as them, you know. Um, but I just want to tell you sort of the the sort of fictional backdrop that I remember being, being very strong. When I was writing the end of vandalism, believe it or not, I was reading a lot of Shakespeare, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, made me think. And actually, I had this, you know, question with some of the some of the editors, like, can we mix humor and and, <clears throat> and sadness and seriousness uh, this way, and I was like, well, Shakespeare did it, you know. <laughs> um, 
So that was like Shakespeare. Like uh, Hunts and Dreams was Beckett. A lot of Beckett, I liked the you know the very methodical way that he would describe certain motions. Like I think of when when Lyris is on the bridge and Ballard is trying to draw her up over the edge of the bridge, and mm-hmm. she's trying to escape from him. You know that that description. I was thinking like you know sort of like I was just remembering how Beckett would describe you know physical motions mm-hmm. very um, you know closely. Um, and for Pacific, I was reading um, a book, um, you know, I mean, and I read this book a lot, actually. It's called, uh, and I'll, I will get the pronunciation wrong, I can tell you for sure. It's called uh, Toynbo Cooley, which is a Celtic epic um, that was in Old Irish. And it's about the, the Irish hero, Cahillan, okay. um, and, and this cattle raid. It's a, Toynbo Cooley means cattle raid of Cooley. And it's which makes it sound like a western or something, but actually it's just a story of Cahillan taking on, you know, vast armies all on his own and 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 defeating them, and that's what was sort of in my mind for the form of Pacific. And and you know, I mean, there's a character, um, Sandra Zoma in Pacific, who, um, you know, actually believes she is a warrior from that time. And by the end of the book, I think you may have. You may think she could be right. Yeah. Well, I remember you saying that when we met that by the third book uh, there would be this character who thinks she's a goddess, and yeah. I was just thinking, how do you get a sort of Celtic goddess into Iowa? How do you get a Celtic goddess? Well, I mean, her claim was that she came in a tunnel underneath the ocean, so I mean that's plausible <laughs> to me. Um, I feel like, how do you get a Celtic goddess in Iowa? Well, I'm from Iowa, and I became very entranced by this literature, so. I had there's a precedent because this Iowan has that kind of you know epic literature in his mind, so that's one way. But I mean, like physically, how do you get her there? I don't know. You know, um, what, what was appealing to you about that kind of epic literature? Just I wanted a really strong and strange character, and um, it, also the form of it is so quick. The action is so quick in those epics, and you know, almost uh, telegraphic. And then, you know, Pacific to me is a book that is, I think I cut that book in half when I edited it, you know, um, because I was trying to get it down to a very taut narrative, which is, when you look at the end of Vandalism, it, that's really not the strategy employed mm-hmm. there at all. The end of Vandalism is very, very talkative. I, th- I forget what you called it. Something. Something unbelievably elegant. Yeah, but no, I know. <laughs> But, um, you know, so that Pacific is more, and the same is true of Driftless Area, with Driftless Area, and then Pacific, I was drawing in this kind of more uh, terse, I guess, or, or lean, you know, style of writing, um, in which things happen uh, quickly and very cleanly, and there's not a ton of, um, there's certainly no, no extra descriptive language, I would say. How, does that reflect? What, I mean, does that reflect what you were reading, Beckett? That would suggest Beckett's fairly pared down. But is something was there something happening? Yeah, but Beckett. I mean, if you look at like you know his trilogy, <laughs> you know Malloy Malone dies in the unnameable. Not that pared okay. down, you yeah. know. Um, in fact, he can go on and, and on and on at great length. But um, but yeah, I don't know why did I why have I become you know yeah. sort of more more you know with less talkative in over the course of these books. For one thing, I'd already done it in the end of vandalism. You know, I had this kind of <clears throat> um, this feeling that I don't want to repeat. 
you know. So if I have a scene that's like, you know, this sounds like something in a vandalism, I usually will end up not doing it, you know, instead of doing the same thing over and over again, um, which I don't think is, you know, I won't put a value judgment on it. It's just not for me. So I feel, you know, compelled to sort of push forward into new new forms, new ways of storytelling, and, and hence a new understanding of the characters because when you change the language, the, the characterization necessarily is altered too, so maybe subtly or maybe not. Does that make you less, perhaps slightly less, I mean, this might be the segue into, towards the Driftless era too, is yeah. a less realist rise? I mean, I, if I, I, I think John McGregor writes this in the introduction um, about handing copies of, of your work out, and I was trying to find my copy of Pacific, I couldn't find it, and I'd given it to someone, and there's a lovely line in it where... Um, uh, one of the characters uh, whose name has gone completely on my head because I've, uh, it's Tiny and Joan's son who goes to Los Micah. Angeles. Micah. Yeah. And he takes a photograph and it's of the, pet, the family's pet goat. Right. And it says the pet goat stared up from the photograph wondering if someone was going to eat him. I thought, where's this? But it's, that's a different kind of storytelling then. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I don't recall that line. One of his, somebody's going to eat him. Yeah. I think he was looking the at goat. the camera wondering whether the camera Since would be edible. I shouldn't lend my, your copies. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what it was. And Which, to no, me, is a very go- goat-like activity <laughs> to just look at anything and, 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 you know, judge it on a scale of 1 to 10, okay. of probably edible, probably not. You know, um, so he was, I think he was looking at the camera. But I like that line, too. I, maybe I'll use it next time. <laughs> but is there a move away from sort of the, the kind of realism that sort of the, the perhaps... Yeah, um, I, you know, I think so, definitely. I mean, I've had ghosts in um, in several novels now, and um, um, you know, the driftless area is, is certainly trending in the super. Is, you know, it has elements of the supernatural, and again, in this kind of you know, sort of sort of common sense language of you know, and I always think like, well, the supernatural. I mean. Frequently, the supernatural is portrayed, and everybody is sort of in this kind of, you know, trance about it. But really, if the supernatural was around, like if a ghost walked through right now, we would still all be the same people, and we'd be like, what the hell is that? You know, and so, I mean, I, would, I try to think, like, how would actual people deal with elements of the supernatural? And I think it maybe is somewhat different than they do in, in some fictions about the supernatural. Have you ever had to deal with an element of the supernatural? You know, it's just a kind of, um, I had this, oh, it's ridiculous, but <laughs> this was a strange moment. Okay, so one day I'm driving across Iowa. I was going home from the University of Iowa to my, you know, I was an undergraduate at the University of Iowa, and I'm driving, and I come down to a valley. There's train track on the right, woods on the other side of that. There's a uh, road sign that says this way to, I don't know, Ackley or somewhere, some little old town in Iowa, Right. And then there's a road going off to the left. So I thought, hey, fine. You know. Then, after that, I go up the hill, and I come down, and I swear, I mean, I might have just, I don't know, I might have been asleep or something, but I swear it's like the same thing again. And I thought, like, all right, whoever's running this film just <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> you know, because I've just experienced the exact same moment in locale consecutively. And how can that be? You know, so that's like the one thing that I would think of when you when you mention that. And I know, but I know people who, and I'm sure you know, a lot of us do. You know, I know people who you know believe very strongly that 
you know, they've seen ghosts and things like that. And I like that idea, you know. I like the idea of pantheism. I like the idea of a sort of a spirit animation of nature. I wish it were true, you know. <laughs> um, and I, but I don't know why, you know, I don't know that it couldn't be, and sometimes it feels as if it is, you know. So, and that's why I try it. That's why I write. You know, I've, I've sort of written about that more and more, I think. But even in, even in the end of vandalism, mm -hmm. you had, you know, the fortune teller who takes hold of Louise's hands and knows immediately that she's that she's pregnant, you know, and you have other subtle things, but, mm. but you know, sort of beyond, uh, you know, what we think of normal sensory perception. Should we shift towards the Driftless area? Yes, we should. A little bit. Mm -hmm. um, could you give a, I don't know how many people had a chance to read it, I think it was that right at the beginning of the month. Would you like to just give a quick... I don't know how you, just quite how you describe it, but... Uh. Well, I'll describe it. Um, okay, so Pierre Hunter um, is a, a young man uh, who is a bartender. Um, he went off to college, and his parents died while he was in college, and he returned to his hometown and became a bartender so that his, his college degree isn't really being put to much use. Um, he is somebody who's uh, looking for a mission in life, um, uh, I think, uh, openly, and um, and he gets it in the form of, you know, uh, his meeting with uh, Stella Rosmarin, who's a mysterious lady who lives on the hill above the lake, um, and nobody really knows how she came to be in the in the town, um, and and they meet in a moment of great danger for Pierre, um, and uh, she basically saves his life, and he says. Openly, you know, and now I owe you a great favor that only I can do. Um, and she says, is that how it is in stories? And or he says, she says, is that how it is? And he says, it is in stories. And she says, this is a story, I think. <laughs> um, and, you know, so it's like we're openly, they're openly talking about this kind of fairy tale setting in which they've landed. <coughs> um, and so then Pierre is, is given his mission. I won't give away too much what it is, but he doesn't really realize it's his mission. It's just he's put on a trajectory of events that will that will bring him in contact with a man who is as um, um, who has done harm to Stella, um, and and sort of must be brought to account to balance the scales of justice or whatever you want to say. Um, and this is this is meeting with this man. It seems to be by chance, um, but we know it's going to happen, and everything has to happen in exactly a certain way for this meeting to occur, and it does. Um, and and then we go to you know the the chase and the 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 uh, the shocking finale. <laughs> but I think also you can look at it as, and I do, as as a, a typical thing where uh, like a fairy tale type trope where in which the the young hero um, is is sort of missing something goes out into the world gathers experience even gathers tools even gathers a magical rock you know um, and that he will need all these things in order to accomplish his mission and he gathers them and he can't accomplish his mission what not without cost to himself what were you reading when you, you talked about the the books that you were reading during the grass crack? What were you reading? You know, I read this? a lot of... I read a lot of folk tales all the time, but I think I was reading, in particular, you know, Irish folk tales and, and, um, and Yeats and, and, you know, Lady Gregory and 
who wrote with Yeats and 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 you know the sort of the Ulster cycle, which which has the Tony Bocoli in it. So a lot of a lot of Irish mythology at the time, which is you know why. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I see. I'm getting it confused. <laughs> For Driftless Area, I was reading uh, Pusong Ling, who was a Chinese writer of the 17th century, and <laughs> wrote this book called Strange. Uh, uh, strange tales from the Laojai studio, from the Chinese studio, um, and so it was again. It was uh, you know basically tales of of magic, and, and in fact the epigraph is from <coughs> a Strange Tales from the Chinese Studio. It's about somebody who comes back to life, who's sort of reanimated in another body. Okay, so yes, for Driftless Area, it was the Chinese folk tales, and for Pacific, it was Irish. That, that already sounds like we're not in, exactly in Grouse County anymore. It's, it's no, I know, but I, I don't really... Um, I feel that's the beauty of the... the to me, the concept of, the, of Grouse County, as I understand it, is that it can really contain multitudes. It can contain everything that, that, I, that interests me as a storyteller. It's not really a particular place in the Midwest. It's a particular place in my imagination. And I can bring these elements in. And I don't see why not, you know. Because they, I, I as a, just as a storyteller, and, and if you read that and you say, like, well, this seems like a funny thing to have in a, in a novel about the Midwest, and I'm like, well, good. You know, because this will expand your sense of, of what, you know, fiction can do. And, and maybe challenge your sense of what limitations are placed upon fiction that is set, you know, in London or Iowa or anywhere. Is it also you're challenging yourself to step outside of, as you were saying, you, you get perhaps get bored, you don't want to repeat yourself? Right, don't want to repeat myself, yeah. And again, as I move into the supernatural, you know, more into the paranormal stuff, I, I like to have different models to work with. And I would say, like, these things really kind of refer only glancingly to the models. That, that's what I mean. I don't want to get the idea that I'm, like, studying it. <coughs> it's more like just kind of background reading for me, and, and I see it sort of come up subtly within the framework of the story.